Amen. Thank you so much. And Robbie, that was powerful. That was exact resurrection. And so last week we talked about this one word, Anastasius, which means to stand again. And so my prayer is that God has been having you stand again under his power, under his anointing, under his direction. And so I just pray that God will move mightily in and through you. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. The prophet is uh, in uh, exile, and he says this passage, the Holy Spirit is showing him what's really burdening the heart of God. And I, that's my prayer today, that we kind of get to, you connect with the Lord in a deep and powerful way. Here's what the prophet said, or really what the Spirit said to the prophet. I look for someone among them, among the people of Israel, who would build up the wall, meaning build up the place where the manifested presence of God dwelt, that is in Jerusalem, that is in the temple itself proper. So I look for someone who would, uh, among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. And then there's these words that just kind of echo in my heart and in my mind all the time, but I found no one. But I found no one. There's this gap, and the Lord was looking for somebody to stand in the gap to show his manifested presence to the world. And there was none. And I want to tell you, when I, when I got, when Jesus saved me, and I began to understand that passage, I was convicted. I said, Lord, look at all the gaps. There's so many. I mean, look at the gap between a, a man and his wife. Look at the gap between a, a father and his children or a mother and the children. Look at the gap between the grandparents and the grandchildren. Look at the gap between a sweet mates. And look at the gap between friends. Look at the gap between uh, people that are going out. Look at the gap between a, a worker and his boss. There's so many gaps. Look at the gap between politically where we are and where you are. There's so many gaps, and I, I began to get overwhelmed. And then the Lord just burdened me. He's like, John, but you can stand in one gap. Are y'all with me today? You can stand in one gap. And see, that's what I love about you at Summit. Because before we got right with the Lord, we were the ones standing in the gap at the party. Right? Y'all were the ones going wild on the tables, Throwing bottles into the mirrors. You were the one breaking windows. And you know who you are. It's okay. We all together, we family. We all. That's for the 70s. Y'all don't know about that. But that's what I'm talking about. Disco ball. Things change. I wish we had like a little anointing light disco ball. Y'all be going crazy. But that's who we are. That's Summit. That's why I love you. And if I don't tell you enough I love you, I love you. And you say, but John, you say that all the time. Well, it means something to me. Because when my father didn't tell me he loved me, or World War II style, you know what I mean? I long to hear those words. I long for somebody to tell me they love me. And so, as much as we stood in the gap for the enemy, I know that you and I can stand in the gap for Jesus. And that's what he's calling us to do today. Anastasius. The hope of the resurrection. Stand again. God is calling you and I to stand in the gap. You and I are the ones that are going to stand in the gap where God has put us and let God do something great in and through us because God is good. He is good. And though he might not seem good, he 
is very good. And this, there's, there's this gap. But then I began to be encouraged. David Dockery was on our campus, and Dr. Dockery is a, basically a, a, one of the top Christian presidents in, in higher education. And he's written many books. He's, 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 he's brilliant. He really is scary brilliant. He's very humble. Talks like this. Now, it doesn't excite me to listen to him, but he does excite me to read him. Can you read between those lines? Okay, let me just say it. It's, it's, when it comes to communication style, I was about to fall asleep. All right? But, but when it comes to reading, I'm like, yeah. But he said this in 1860. I love this. In 1860, 80% of all Christianity, when they documented it, was, listen to this, was in Europe and America. 80% of all Christians, check this out, were in Europe and America. 80% by 2010 60% of all the known Christians in the world, 60% of all the known Christians were in Asia, Latin America, and China. America, we're bad. I mean, and the, and the numbers are going crazy overseas. The power of the gospel has moved away from America and is moving in those places. And I want you to know that. The center of Christianity is not America. It's not us. It is not us. Of the 18 to 29-year-olds in this room, I want you to know something. One out of every three in all America say they are not affiliated with anything of God. Nothing. One out of every three have nothing to do with God. To put that into perspective, 50 years ago, less than 10% of your, I think it was, uh, of your age group said that. No, excuse me, 1%. That's how fast it's gone downhill. And so I look for someone to stand in the gap. That's why I love this church family. Because you want to stand in the gap. And God has called us. And so the Lord was showing me that the resurrection brings hope. The idea of us standing in the gap, we can always have hope because God's glory can never be changed, added to, or diminished to borrow Arthur Pink. I've been reading this little book called The Attributes of God by Arthur Pink. I encourage you to get it. You can probably get it online for free or something like that. And all, by the way, all the notes are on summitcharleston.com right now, so you can follow along on, on Facebook at Summit Church. So you can follow along. So just go there, boom, check it up. But here's the idea behind this. No, nobody can add or diminish to his glory. Check this out. Before... God created the earth. God was still God. How do I know that? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, what's the next word, saints? Uh, I didn't hear you. Next word? Oh, y'all say it with God. Like, he's boring. God. God. He did not need us. He did not need creation to make him feel better about himself. He wasn't lonely. He wasn't out there going, twiddling his thumbs, as if he has thumbs, twiddling his thumbs and saying, you know, I just don't know what to do with my spiritual being. Maybe I just need some people because you know what? I, I, I really need them. They will be so wonderful. You know, they would never mess up. I really need some adulterers, idolaters, fornicators, angry people, bitter people, murderers, hatred, and just total chaos. I just need that around me right now. God doesn't need that. He was in the place 
of his manifested glory. That's what heaven is. We don't want to go to heaven so that we don't cry. We don't want to go to heaven so that I don't get a stretch mark when I eat a yeast roll. We don't want to go to heaven just so we can see the ones we love. We want to go to heaven because we're in the manifested presence of God. We're in the manifested of his glory. And so that's what God's doing in the beginning. God. I love what Arthur Pink said. There was a time, if time could be called, when God dwelt alone. God was alone, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. He had a universe he created, had angels and human beings been necessary to him in any way, they would have been called into existence from eternity. But before time began, God. Malachi 3.6 says this, the Lord does not change. Heaven is the place where God's glory is manifested, and there's this gap, and so God says to us, who'll stand in the gap? Why? Now check this out. Because God wants to take us, he wants to take us as he puts his Holy Spirit within us, as he's done with many of you in this room who have said no to your life and said yes to his life. It's not like this. We're not saying to God, let's just get theologically correct. We're not saying to God today, hey God, come to me, I'm going to rub my Bible like, like Aladdin, right? I'm going I'm to I'm rub the Bible and genie's going to pop out, and I'm going to get these wishes, okay? Here's wish number one. Uh, my grandmother's sick, uh, extend her life. And, and so, oh, God, please extend her life. And so you want to extend her life, but then when he doesn't extend her life, you get mad at God. But why should you be mad at God when you don't go see her in the first place? Rub my Bible again. God, I really, really want to make this team. Or I really, really want, I need you to pay for school. God, I really, really want my grandson to do this. Or I really, really want my job to do this. We, we want these wishes for God. And so what it is, is we want God to come to us and bless our life. That is not Christianity. Christianity is when we say no to us and we say yes to his life. Christianity is when we step into his world, his being, his connection, his desires, his plan, and then we follow through with obedience because we love him because he's more valuable and treasurable than anything else in this world that's jesus and he's more self-satisfying than any amount of money than anything else you say but john you know i really need this yes but listen when you are part of god's plan here's what i know a lot of people have money but are never remembered but a lot of people who follow god are remembered because they did something for him and they're not remembered because they want to be remembered they want jesus to be glorified So we have to stand in the gap so his manifested presence will be seen. The Holy Spirit lives within us. The Holy Spirit's changing us. People see the power of God. They feel his presence around us. That's why when people cuss around you, go, oh, sorry. I mean, the manifested presence of the Spirit is in us, right? Heaven is his full manifested presence. On earth, we're just saying to God, thy will be. Because we want his manifested presence to come out in us. That's why in corporate worship, it, this is just the beginning of the way that we are corporately going to connect with God. And this pales infinitely in comparison to what it's going to be like in heaven. So, there was a man who encountered Jesus because Jesus is the only one who could stand in the gap because every man failed. Every man was a foreshadowing of what it, the failure 
of man would be to stand in the gap. Every king of Israel, every prophet in Israel, every man of God in Israel, every woman of God in Israel, every judge in Israel, everyone who did the right thing, every priest, every Levite, every Moses, every Joshua, every Elijah, every Elisha, it did not matter, every Abraham, they all failed because there's only one who doesn't fail and his name is who? Right. Jesus. Jesus stood in the gap between death and life and bridged it on the cross. And he stood again so that he has the keys to death and hell. Death and Hades, the Bible says, he has the keys to it. And he can unlock it for anyone who calls upon his name. So now there was a man who encountered Jesus in the resurrected Anastasia state because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The word resurrection in John 11 is Anastasia, which means to stand again. And so this man was knocked off his horse because he needed to stand again. This man had been going by his Hebrew name, Saul, because he was a Pharisee of Pharisees under the top Pharisee Gamaliel who was there during the time of this whole beginning of Christianity and this whole promise and the fulfillment in Jesus. And so all of a sudden, he begins to see the manifested presence of Jesus in heaven. And it changes his life radically. And now he goes along as a person who stands in the gap, who manifests the presence of Jesus everywhere. Are y'all tracking me? He's bringing creation back into right because we all believe creation is good, but there's something wrong. And so what happens is now this man goes along and he begins to travel. He says, I'm going away from the Jews because the Jews are rejecting me. So I'm going to not use my Hebrew name, which is Saul. I'm going to use my Roman name because I'm a, a Roman citizen born as a Roman citizen. In Tarsus, so I'm going to go by my Roman name, Paul, and I'm going to go to the Romans, or i.e. the Gentiles, or the Greeks, i.e. the Gentiles. And so he goes up to Athens, and we pick up the story in Acts chapter 17, where he's there in this, basically this big temple, this basically this big place where they would all gather, and they would begin to dialogue, and there was this place, and they had a statue there to an unknown stone, to an unknown God, and all of a sudden, Paul walks up, and he says, I'm going to tell you, who this is. I'm going to tell you what he's about. Because remember, the glory of God could never be changed because he is so beautiful and so great. He is worth you giving up your life for him. I promise. And that's why Christianity is flourishing in Africa, flourishing in China, flourishing in Latin America and dwindling in U.S. of A. At a massive rate, dwindling. That's why there's a scarcity. That's why we're angry at one another. That's why people feel uh, that they don't matter. And there's all this animosity that's coming up. And the only one who can save the day is Jesus. It is not reform. It's not more money. It's not change the system. It's not fight against the system. It is Jesus Christ standing in the gap for us. Revelation says, in the center of the throne, a lamb looking as if slain, the constant reminder of his sacrifice so we can always be saved and live in victory regardless if we sin or not. 
Man, that's so good. So then, here we pick up in Acts chapter 17. And it'll be on the screen here. You can turn there. I want to pick up in the middle of the story. Verse 24. Where Paul is now saying, here is the manifested presence of God. Here's your unknown God. Here is who he is, the only God. The rest of them are no gods. They're created by man's hands. They're all mythology. There's all those other things else. Over two million gods in Hinduism, all fake and all phony. As I was at the Hindu temple there and Hare Krishna being in the middle, all fake, all phony, all nothing. Only Jesus is the real God. And he starts in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord. There is nobody else. He didn't just say Savior. He said Lord. He meant he is the only one and the king, and he's the one that you surrender your life to. He's not just saving you so you can be you. He's not saving John so I can be John. He's doing something powerful within us. He is so powerfully and mightily and good that he is Lord. He's Lord. If Jesus is not your Lord, he's not your Savior. Is that an amen or a me? Come on, we at Summit now. We can talk back. This ain't old. I mean, we need, to, we need to get loose. Some of you, that's a dangerous statement for me to say. I'm kidding. Kevin. The world who made, excuse me, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Speaking against that place, speaking against synagogues, speaking, he doesn't live anymore in temples. He doesn't live anymore. God does not live in this building, though it's beautiful and nice, you know. I wish to see if she would donate it to me. But, you know, hey, uh, you know, we can have a lot of fun in here, right? It's to be a great place for hide and seek. You could take tennis balls and be up here and I could just be throwing it at people as they dive underneath the chairs. What a blast! I remember like my church and people were crazy back at home. The, the church I grew up in, it was this big, big First Baptist church with candles and, and, and people don't talk and people don't say amen and children be seen or heard in a scary place. And, you know, you said, and then I remember the pastor's son, they were in there one time and they had tennis balls and they were playing like dodgeball with tennis balls in the sanctuary. It was the greatest day of my life. Like they were just launching at each other. And I thought, oh my word, that's freedom in Jesus. Like I get this. This is great. And so if, don't y'all throw a tennis ball at me, I will Christian cuss you. All right, so now, just kidding. All right, so he doesn't live in temples by human hands. He's not living in a temple. He's living in us. We, we, the Holy Spirit, the manifested presence of God is living within us. And as we submit and love him and treasure him and value him, then his presence becomes manifested everywhere we go, right? He begins to transform things. We don't get, I mean, yeah, we get angry and bitter, but we don't stay in that angriness. And bitterness doesn't take root because Jesus rips it out because he's so much more valuable. This is, man, this is the beauty of the manifest of presence. This is what the resurrection to stand again does. This was why God's glory, Jesus, can never be diminished, can never be added to, can never be changed. Here it is. Verse 25, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Thank you very much, Lord. Like, you leading people to Jesus, me leading people to Jesus, me up here preaching, it doesn't serve God in any way that adds anything to him. It adds to me. I'm the one who's getting blessed, right? I'm just doing what God's told me to do. I don't get any extra points by up here preaching. I, don't, I want you to know, like, I don't have a special bat phone to God. 
1-800-JESUS-LOVES-ME. Boom. I, I, don't, I don't know. You got the same phone as I do, right? It's called prayer. We, we're in the same, we move the same way. You say, but John, he might answer your prayers. Guess what? God's no respecter of persons. He's going to answer yours too. Trust me, there's no difference between you and I. It's different callings, but it's not a different manifestation. The Lord loves you and will use you. All you have to do is say yes, but the problem is we don't like the yes to what he's asked us to do because what he asked us to do, our flesh says no. But I'm going to get to that, by the way. So God has a, John Piper says, a no help wanted sign. Thank you very much. Rather, look what he says, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Life, breath, and everything else you need. Yes, the love of your life, if you're single, and if you're married, the love that you found, or if you're looking, he will give you everything you need according to his riches and glory. But it's only going to come in a consistent, valuable walk with the Lord. You can't dip in and dip out and expect the Lord to bless that. It's a consistent walk. Are you saying, John, the moment I sin, he's not going to answer? No. We all sin. I sin. But the difference is we're convicted when we sin and we recognize it. But when you dip in, I love you, Jesus, you dip out, I'm rolling with myself. That means you're coming in and out and you stay in it. Stay away from him. So then he says something powerful. He himself, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Nobody can add to Jesus. Then I love this. From one man he made all nations. Here is point number one. The resurrected Glorified Jesus brings hope because no one is better than anyone else. Jesus brings hope because there's nobody in this room or outside this room or any kingdom outside this continent that is better than anyone else in God's eyes. Look, I'll show you. God's glory can never be diminished because Jesus stands alone. From one man he made all nations. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4. when Peter and John proclaimed that to the angry Sanhedrin who had just locked them in jail. Noah, there's only one who stands alone, and his name is Jesus. We're not the ones who stand alone. Everybody's looking for fame. Everybody's looking to get ahead. But there's no, there's no respecter of a, a, a person's God is. God's glory can never be diminished because it's all in Jesus. I love what Arthur Pink said. God is under no constraint or obligation to honor anyone above another. Uh, Peter, just a couple chapters back, Peter, uh, the great great man of God that he was went to this Roman soldier's house which Peter had a real problem with because he was a God-fearing Jew who had been saved by the gospel of Jesus and so he's like I'm, I'm mixing with Gentiles here and then he says this after he goes into the house and here's the testimony of Cornelius he says this Peter says I now realize this is in Acts 10 I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism 
God doesn't show me favoritism more than you. He doesn't show God, God doesn't show favoritism to you more than me. He doesn't show favoritism because we are all on the same plane. As the old preacher once said, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. We all stand in need of Jesus. Some people sin this much, some people that much, but God says for the wages of sin, it just takes one sin. It's level. Nobody's better than anybody else. No one. And so this world is fighting over it. So we have this whole Walter Scott situation going down. The atrocity and how horrible it is for us. I was in awe of his mother. I loved watching his mother say, we forgive the one who killed my son. I love, can I say I love that? I love her. I don't even know her, but I love her. Because I wanted to say, that's the proper response of a believer. That's the proper response. In other words, I can forgive them because I don't stand as a judge. There's only one who stands in a judge, and his name is God Almighty. And I just want to tell everybody something. God can do a lot worse to somebody than what we can do. Just read about hell. The torture you and I can do to somebody. Can you imagine, I think, the most horrific thing about hell is just being apart from Jesus and knowing that you can never get there. Can you imagine the mental anguish? And then you think about that officer's family and you, you, you think about them and how that's changed. And, um, the biblical response. Christians shouldn't run away from this stuff. We should be the ones standing up, standing in the gap, standing there. We don't turn this over to the world for an answer. We have the answer. His name's Jesus. And Jesus is going to be Lord of the judicial system. And God is going to hold the judicial system accountable if they do things wrong. Just read about the kings in Israel. When they were jacked up and they were doing things wrong. Think about Ahaz. God says, man, y'all are so jacked up. I'm going to destroy you, your whole family, and then your wife. The dogs are going to lick up her blood. And that's exactly what happened. God will hold the judicial system accountable if they don't do it right. Our job is to show the reason why things happen is because there is a gap and the only one who can stand in there is Jesus. It's not going to be reform. It's not going to be new laws. We are not going to be able to do anything to change people's minds when you can't change anyone's heart. And so when I was Friday, when there was a person over there on top of the garage and tried it, and there was a gun involved, and, and I, I knew... I was on the phone, the deputy chief, you know, Charleston calls me, and I said, I'll, I'll come over. He's like, you can't. So I go, get over there, and I'm, I get past to where they've got everything standoff. And I want to tell you something. I'm in awe of Charleston County, North Charleston. That was unbelievable what they did over there. I mean, these guys are, and women are professionals. They were amazing. I'm over there. I don't have a bulletproof vest on. The negotiators go in. They have the bulletproof vest. I'm at a distance. They kept me at a certain distance because when those negotiators were there, they knew exactly what type of gun, how many shells, and how far it could go. And they kept me at the distance so it make sure it wouldn't hit me. So I'm in the middle of that situation. And it's intense. Probably the most intense situation I've been in in the last six months. And I was in awe of these men. I, I can't help but thank them. I mean, I, I, I thank them and honor them. Yes. What happened? The world Scott's terrible. Judgment's going to happen. Punishment's going to happen. It's wrong. But here's the difference. It doesn't make everybody wrong, does it? Let me tell you about my 
twin, my brother, by the way, I just heard, he got voted number one lawyer in North Carolina. How about that? That's pretty good, huh? And, that's the, and listen, he loves Jesus. He witnesses to every, every murderer, every rapist. He, every, he, takes, he meets with them and shares them. You're where you are because you need Jesus. Mm. Somebody say amen on that, huh? Because some, some people are afraid. But I'm going to tell you what they tell me. You know what they tell me? Oh, John, you're just a preacher. You're just a pastor. You want to know why? You want to know why they have to fight animosity towards me? You want to know why they have to fight anger towards me? You want to know why? Because guess what? They're known as the Christian attorneys in the whole area above Charlotte. So everybody goes to them because my brother's got this huge reputation. He was just in Myrtle Beach a couple months ago teaching all the lawyers in this big seminar over there in Myrtle Beach, North and South Carolina lawyers, all criminal law and, and how to, as far as the court system. He's writing about all this stuff because he's... He, I mean, he's huge because his call is to show those people Jesus. And he honors the Lord so much so that they fail a lie detector. He says, I'm not representing your, t- your case. No matter how much money they offer him. And so, you know what they tell me? It's not the criminals they have a hardened heart towards. Guess who they don't really like? Guess who my family doesn't like? You ready? You ready who they don't like? Pastors. You know how many pastors come to the law firm? Man, my sister is a civil criminal. She is unbelievable. You want to know why? Because when she's holding her deaf son at a couple months and he shoves her over the couch and is physically abusing her, you better believe when she gets in the courtroom, she's going for blood. You know, they don't like pastors. You want to know why? Because every pastor that comes in there says, I'm not guilty, and all the pastors are sex offenders and have either stolen money from the church. John, you're a pastor. So they have to fight thinking those thoughts. But you know what? What I know, just because there's a couple bad pastors don't mean they're all bad. So we don't superimpose just because somebody does something wrong that everyone's wrong. There's a lot of good people on both sides. And Christians stand in the gap because at the foot of the cross, no one is above another. And I stand in need of mercy and grace. And so when my family looks at me and they have to fight that, you know, you're a pastor, they're just, you know, y'all are, y'all are just dirty people. Because that's who come to them. And then they want everything pro bono. They want it for free. Because a believer should help a believer. No, that's called taking advantage of a believer. So I praise God for you, for you standing for Jesus. And there are many born-again believers in in the criminal justice system who are doing incredibly things for God. And there are many people that are not in the criminal justice system who are doing incredible things for God. It's our job to stand in the gap as Jesus manifests himself in us. So here we go. Let me just, let me work through this. So the reason why God chose us is because he wants to show Jesus shine within us. So no one can help us like Jesus. He's the only one. He's the, the wonderful counselor, glorious, holy and righteous, as the song said, victorious, conqueror, triumph and mighty, healer, deliverer, shield and defense, strong tower, and my best friend, omnipotent, omnipresent, soon coming king, alpha, mega, Lord of everything, you are holy, Lord. And so then I'm going to ask Robbie and everybody to come up. Then the last is this. Is that the resurrected, glorified Jesus brings hope because God has got you right 
where he wants you. Now, here's where we're going to interact. Here's where I'm, we're getting ready to go into time of we open up this front where I'm going to ask you, will you, will you wait on the Lord? Oh, you don't like what I'm going to say, but you got to love me anyway because you love Jesus. We can have hope and stand again because God has got us right where we want us. Woo! This is good. Robbie, I might start dancing. Y'all better watch out. I mean, it's going to get ugly because I might fall because I can't dance. All right? But I can sing. But you never asked me to sing, so you're in sin. All right, so um, let me just say this. Let's go back to verse uh, 26. From one man he made all the nations. That is the Greek word ethne, ethnicity, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And check out what God says about you and I. You ready? This is where it gets real with us right now. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God is saying to us right now, will you trust and wait on me? Because I have, I have marked out your appointed time and set a boundary to your land. Let me just explain. God has put us in a specific time in a specific place. The word appointed times in history means this. That, listen, I want you to mark it in your Bible. I want you to spend time with Jesus tonight. I want you to spend time with him this afternoon. I want you to wrestle with this passage because I do. That word, those words... Appointed times in history in that verse, in verse 26, it means to assign or to define where we are supposed to be right now. God, in his wonderful knowledge, has said, I have put you and I, we, in the exact place where we are right now. You mean in my singleness? Yes. You mean in my job? Yes. You mean in this uh, college place? Yes. You mean in my finances? Yes. You mean with my sweet mate? Yes. You mean in the circumstance? Yes. God has put us at a point in time and we don't like it. You want to know why? Don't we? I, can, I can back up. We don't like it because we're always looking to change it. I'll go over here because we're always looking to change it. But if I just could date her, if I could just date him, if I just had this, or if I just had this, or if I'd have had parents who had money, if I'd have made this, if I had this, or if my grandchildren would do this, or my job would have done this, if I had this much more time, we're always looking to change. And God says, I got you right where I want you. And we don't like where he's got us. Nobody wants to be in a holding pattern. And God says, I got you. I got you right here. And he marked out their appointed times in history. God has you at Summit right now. God has you at CSU right now. God has you in Somerville right now. God has you in Goose Creek right now. God has you in this job right now. God has you financially right now. God has you as a grandparent right now. God has you in retirement right now. God has you for right now. And he's saying, stand again. Show my manifested presence. Because they're not going to see. They're not reading the Bible. They're not going to get to heaven. They're not going to, unless, unless they see and hear Jesus. This is your appointed time. You're in high school right now. This is your appointed time. 
where God has got you. But you, you, look, I know you're not where you want to be, but listen, thank God you're not what you used to be. This is your point in time. J. Poe, when they inducing the baby? Tuesday? Somebody got a point in time coming. And, you're, and you are very, and I know you're happy it is not you. It's your wife, because she's much tougher than you. Much tougher than me. See, it's like, it's, like, it's like Rebecca and Jimmy's baby. The baby is growing inside you, and there'll be a day you give birth. Oh, but then it gets really good. Hercules, Hercules. Never mind. In other words, if this is your appointed time in history, the Lord showed me, word for word, he said, John, this is your defining moment. Come on, somebody. This is your defining moment. Why? Look at verse 26. Come on, dive into the word. And the boundaries of their lands. This is your appointed time. This is your appointed time. This is our defining moment in history for you and I to make a difference for the Lord. And it's not so much. Sometimes the greatest difference is not what we go out and do. It's how we sit at his feet. Come on. What was powerful to me was not because my dad had all these accolades. It's how I watched him die in Jesus. Sitting at his feet. Waiting on the Lord. Verse 26. And the boundaries of their land. Say boundaries. This word boundaries means this. And I don't like it, Lord, sorry. The word boundaries means this. It means, I want you to write this down. Laying down limits. Did you hear what I said? If you're single at this time, it's because God laid down a limit on your life. Because this is your defining moment. You don't want to hear that. But the Word of God says that. So much that I highlighted it right there. If you're in a relationship, it's your defining moment. If you're a grandparent, it's your, if you're a parent, this is your defining moment. God has got you right where he wants you. He has you. And you're upset because he laid down boundaries like this. When the offensive line coach for the Giants liked me, and Bill Parcells said I was too short, that he would never draft anybody under 6'4", I was mad at God. Thanks for the limit, God. God, I could have done so much for you. God, I could have made money and I could have given to people. God, we could have sent people on mission trips. God, I could have stood up for you and said, hey, I'm a, I'm a pro football player. And um, Lord, I could have said, Jesus is good and he's glorified when all the rest of the, a lot of those men are out there living for themselves and partying up for themselves and clubbing out for themselves and just going from woman to woman for themselves. But I could have done something for you, but you put a limit on me that I couldn't fix. See, steroids could get me larger. They just can't make me taller. Everybody's got a limit. Everybody in this room, you got a limit. You don't like them. Some of you is financial, and it will always be financial. Some of you, it's your looks. There's not a day I wake up and look at my body and go, hey, God. (laughs) 
I, I just love my muffin top. In fact, it makes me hungry right now. God has got limits on our lives. You might not be a five-tool player. You might have one tool, and I was walking in here today, and I was so, I got done speaking with the baseball team this morning, taking them through chapel. I was just, just kind of frustrated with the Lord about this passage, just frustrated. Because I don't like the limits. You, you might like where God's got you. I don't. I want more. I said, God, I don't understand. you got people with five tools. And then in the Bible you say, those who had five talents, if they were faithful, God, God gave them how many more? Five. So they got end up ten. So a five-tool player can end up being this, wow, Major League Baseball player gets all this Major League money, and all of a sudden it's great because he's five tools. But God, I don't even know if I got a tool. And the Holy Spirit said, John, you got one tool. You can speak for me. I went, literally in my heart, I'm going, thanks a lot, God. Wow. I can talk. Woo. Store party, Lord. And then he said, the Spirit, quietly in my spirit, said, John, but when you're faithful over one, I give you more. Because if you're faithful over the little, then you will be faithful. Somebody, come on. Then you'll be faithful over what? So, in order to get to much, you've got to be faithful where you are. And God's laid down some limits on your life. And here's how you respond. So what I love, oh, I love what Matt Chandler, here's the invitation. Here it is. I love what Matt Chandler said. And this is exactly where us. What do you do when there's a gap between your mind and your heart? Your mind says, just trust the Lord, trust the Lord. And your heart's like, no way. Right? You been there? Your, your, mind, your mind says, i got to do what's right. This is the right thing to do. This is to trust Jesus, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Trust but my heart's not there. So my heart's raging, raging against my mind. They don't align. They're like this, and there's this clash. And so what do you do when that happens? Well, you do what King David did. And when Psalm 42, when he'd say, my, why is my soul so downcast? Like he's arguing with himself and the Lord, like, he's looking at himself like, why is my soul so downcast? Why am I so hurt? Why am I so broken? Why is all that thing? Why, why my soul, you're downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And then he says this, put your hope in God. He's arguing with himself. Because he knew this, that if he put his hope in God, that those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They'll rise up on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and they'll not faint. This is your defining moment. You have a chance to stand again in a moment that you and I don't like at times. Or to stand for others when they're struggling. And he has put boundaries. Maybe it's looks, finances, where we are. Seems things are so far away. But those boundaries are for our good because it forces us to turn to him. Here's why God didn't allow me to be tall. Because had I gone to the NFL, I would not be doing this. And if you don't believe me, you can ask my in-laws. The guy that was my agent, his wife came to their house yesterday. 
He was all-pro offensive lineman for the New York Giants and the Cleveland Browns. And I love this man. But I want to tell you, you can ask them. I would not be here today if God not had to put a boundary on my life then. Because where I would have been would not be with Jesus. Will you accept your boundary? And will you just come and sit when, there's, when your heart and your mind are raging? Will you fight the good fight of faith? Say, God, I'm just going to sit in this moment. I'm just going to come forward. I'm just going to sit here as a, as a physical sign to you. I'm just going to sit in this moment, and I'm going to say, I'm going to trust you even when my heart doesn't understand. That's what it means to stand again. So who in here just needs to take a moment and just say, Lord, this is my appointed time. This is my boundary. I don't understand it all. I'm just going to sit. You don't have to wait till I pray, by the way. This is summit. If you just want to come and you just want to sit in it and begin to just call upon the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you in this. I trust you in this. I trust you in my new marriage. I trust you in my new career. I trust you in the, the semester. I trust you for the summer. I trust you when I graduate. I trust you where you move me. I'm going to trust you with my grandchildren. I'm going to trust you in my retirement. I'm going to trust. I'm just going to sit and say, Lord, I am going to trust you in the boundaries you have given me because if I can just be faithful in this moment, that I will be faithful over more. Praise the Lord. 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 And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is your defining moment to move from death to life. And you can grab any of these people praying. You can grab any of these people that are praying over them. And you can say, I know that I can't say myself, it's Jesus. And my defining moment is, is that I realize I am not a good person. You see, it's, we don't have to problem convincing people that Jesus are good. We just have a problem convincing people that they're bad. And I don't mean bad as in bad people. I mean bad as in we're dead. We're spiritually dead without Jesus. And he takes our spirit, brings it to life so that we can then live in him. And the spirit of God controls our mind, emotions, and will called our soul and then controls our body. And we follow him. That Jesus died and rose again. Who needs to sit with the Lord today and just say, I trust you. This upcoming season, I trust you. This upcoming, whatever it is, this upcoming, whatever it is, I need to trust you for my children. I need to trust you. I'm just going to sit in it, and I'm going to fight for faith, and I'm going to trust you that this is an appointed time, a defining moment, and these boundaries are good, and you are good to me, Lord, and you are good for me, and that my life needs to be in your life. You are good. Who will just come and just sit in front of the Lord as they prophetically minister over us? Who will come? Father, that is my prayer today. May you be glorified. May the saints be edified. And may Satan be horrified. Because in the end, Jesus wins. Who has been stirred in that feeling in their heart and they're embarrassed and they don't want to come because they just don't want to get up. But God, may your spirit reign. May Jesus be seen supreme. And if there's someone here today who doesn't know you, may they look at these people down front who are saying, wow, I'm sitting and trusting the Lord. Lord, may they see the power of God. And may they come to you today, not on my wise and persuasive words, but 
on a movement of the very power of the Holy Spirit. That is my prayer. We worship you in Jesus' name.